have you ever thought, I don't know how I would survive if this or that ever happened? Well, here's how. These are the stories of how people just like you and I have gone through difficult life events and survived. It's a journey of faith, hope, and yes, the power of love. Here is the survival guide for the non-survivor. Well, welcome back to another edition of Survival Guide. I'm Greg Fish, your host, and this has been an incredible journey because I've gotten to talk with some very special people who have some very powerful stories. We're looking at stories that can help you survive because sometimes survival is just a day-at-a-time thing. I realize for my own survival... I don't know how I did it. I just found myself waking up in the morning and breathing. And so I chose to survive. And I I love these stories of other folks who've found ways to do the same thing. And today, a guest who actually I go way back with, despite the fact that I haven't seen her for years. I I think, if I'm not mistaken, I may have given you your first job in radio. Uh, Kelly Trask is here with us, Uh, goes all the way back to my radio days. And uh, Kelly uh, was the... uh, uh, became the wife of the man who was my general manager in radio, Blair Trask, who was just one of these special, special people in this world. He was he was a character. He was magnetic. He could draw people in like few people I've seen in this in this world. He had a way with people that I was just very envious of. And uh, through this life, he influenced and touched a lot of people. But tragically, in 2018, Blair passed away. So Kelly, how many years uh, were you married to the point that Blair passed away? Yeah, we were married 17 years. And by the way, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. I've been looking forward to this interview, Kelly. Uh, Blair passed away in 2018. And uh, I I made note to you beforehand that I couldn't believe how long it has been since he he died. And, And that's a good example of what people from the outside see, because it just seems like it was yesterday. For me, it was around... Thanksgiving time, correct? It was actually Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day. I I have a vague remem- uh, remembrance of a friend sending me a text saying, hey, did you hear about Blair uh, on Thanksgiving Day? And wow, that was just such a shocker. But it just seems like yesterday to me, but yet you've lived through it. And now here five years, coming on five years later. Um, isn't it interesting how when people are watching from the outside, they don't realize always how much time has passed. And do you, do you, uh, do you find that a lot with people who, who's, uh, wasn't it just yesterday that he died? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I, at times a funny thing, um, you know, for one minute, it seems like it was 50 years ago and sometimes it seems like it was yesterday. So it just kind of depends on the, the moment. And, and even that, uh, interpretation or reflection has changed since, you know, that day. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is, I'll, I'll still run across people. In fact, Ironically, I was uh, headed Wednesday to speak at a widow's event in Louisville, and um, someone called me on the phone who I, I didn't know, and actually he mentioned that he was one, one of, um, it, there was a reason we needed to talk, but he said, oh, by the way, I just want you to know, I had Blair as a student in college, and he was one of my favorite students, and he had all these wow. stories to tell me. And that was such an odd timing as I was headed to this event, but it was also very warming because um, you know, I, I got to hear in someone else's, uh, stories about how Blair impacted them. And I'm going to tell you, uh, Blair, there's no shortage of those that I have learned over the years. 
Well, and, and Blair and I had the privilege of, of a, the wild ride of going country in the 90s, which was the country boom. And I think that may have been one of the best times ever to be in country radio, uh, just because it was just so out there. And so uh, it was a, a really neat thing. And I remember Blair telling me, do you, so here's a little trivia question. I want to see if I know something about him you don't know. Do you know the name of the song that turned Blair on to country music? He was not a country fan, but do you, do you know the song? that turned Blair to a country fan. Oh, I'm going to be embarrassed that I don't know this. I'm going to assume it was a Merle Haggard song, but I don't know. <laughs> Believe it or not, it was a Charlie Pride song, Burgers and Fries. Yep, yeah, Burgers and Fries. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. He did love that song. I didn't under didn't know the context why, but there you go. Okay, so I, uh, now the song that I remember he he loved the most through the country years that I knew him was uh, I'm No Stranger to the Rain, mm-hmm. which really, it was interesting how a man who always seemed to have it so together and be so on top of things, have this undercurrent of tragedy in his own life and of heart heartache. And it was just always there. You could tell it, but his confidence belied it. Mm-hmm. So before we go there, tell me a little bit about your, your uh, marriage with Blair and your family. Oh, wow. Um, well, we work together. We always work together. Um, even th- all throughout our marriage, we did. And um, I always said he had his dancing space and I had mine. We knew what each other did. Um, he probably knew more about what I did than I thought he did, but um, he would handle like the engineering and the, the day-to-day. And uh, we always discussed uh, basically big decisions, you know, the moving forward uh, of how we saw our vision with the company and so forth. Um, and then of course, children are involved. So um, uh, Blair has a, had a son, uh, he's older, a little bit older. And then we had our two uh, children together and then there was some grandkids and some different things. So, um, mm-hmm. there was just never a, a, a moment where I don't, I always said, I don't know why we owned couches. We never used them. We were always doing <laughs> a project together. Uh-huh. Um, we we're always planning something, uh, Blair didn't sit still and, and, you know, neither did I. So we worked really well together. Um, it was a good team. I, I supported him. Um, he supported me and we, we, I think one of our, the biggest milestone or successes in our, our, our marriage. And there was, there was a lot I could look back on, but, um, we love growing things together and we just had a mutual respect for each other on, on how we did that. I know Blair was uh, quite a workaholic in the day that I knew him. Did he continue with that path? And was that something that you had to work through with him? Um, you know, it's kind of funny. He he did tell me that he used to be a workaholic. And I was I said, huh, I don't see it. And I did see it in the fact that his mind was always working. Um, mm-hmm. But we had some pretty good traditions. I mean, he would come home in the evenings, you know, by five or six o'clock most of the time. And um we went on trips, several trips throughout the year, little vacations, you know, nothing crazy, but we made always, he always made time that, uh, we had time together and, um, we very much had a, a home life as well as a, as a work life. And he told me once, he said, you know, the old me didn't do it this way. And he said, but I found life is so much more enjoyable, um, when we do. And so that is something that I didn't really get to know about him, but yet, um, I got to experience, I guess, the slower down version, slowed down version. Um, but I will say the man's brain never slowed down. <laughs> so. and I, I wonder to what extent his his workaholic uh, lifestyle was to to hide the pain that he was struggling with. And then having you in his life finally gave him family and gave him that thing yeah. that he really longed for. And 
probably yeah. I didn't realize how strongly he was longing for that because again, he was yeah. always just strong in control. He was a kind of guy, I don't know if he always did this, but I remember when I knew him, he didn't want anesthesia at the dentist office. He, he wanted to just face it like it was. And that really spoke to me about the, the man that I knew as Blair, that he was strong, tough, yeah. and just trudged straight ahead. Yeah. Yeah, we very much had a big uh, family component to our life. Um, That's awesome. And and I, I again, I don't really knew, know him as you knew him prior. Um, right, right. But yeah, we very much had a tight family family connection and a tight marriage connection too, which was good. And just so the folks understand the, the time frame here, I, the last time I actually saw Blair was in 2000 when I left uh, radio to go into the full-time ministry. And so even though I consider him one of the dear friends of my life, I really have been out of touch, had been out of touch with him. I spoke with him one time, I think a year within the year or so before he passed, if I'm not mistaken, um, but really had been out of touch with Blair for a number of years and still just have such a fond memory of him that I consider him one of the, the dear people of, of my life. So just briefly, your, your two kids, their ages these days. So um, my youngest is 15. And my mm-hmm. oldest is 17 and wow. they were 10 and 12 when he, he passed away. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, Blair's older son too, uh, Torian. So he, um, mm-hmm. gosh, he's a little over 40. I don't want to give his age. <laughs> so, <laughs> he might, he That's might, okay. me. I don't know. <laughs> you, you've done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's go then to, uh, what happened on uh, Thanksgiving day of 2018. Uh, can you, uh, just give us a, the, the story as to what happened that day. Um, basically, I, I woke up to what I didn't realize at the time, but I woke up to him having a heart attack. I didn't realize that's what was happening at the time. So um, I'll spare you a lot of the, the details and things along those lines. Um, they were not able to, um, they got him stable when he left here, but he, he did pass away at the, the hospital. So in fact, when they left here, they, you know, when the ambulance left, they said, we have hope, you know, get your kids, get your things, meet us at the hospital, that sort of thing. So I grabbed things I knew he would love and what would want to have when he woke up. Um, and I had no idea. I mean, I knew what something terrible had happened. Even at the time, I wasn't sure what had happened. Um, but by the time I, I got there, uh, he had already passed away. So I didn't uh, get to you know, talk to him. We, we didn't really talk much that morning. It was more just getting up and getting into action. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that what I was witnessing was that, um, you know, administered CPR until paramedics got there. I mean, I'm on the phone with 911. They're telling me what to do. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how that, that morning unfolded. Now Blair was 60. Am I remembering correctly? Yeah. He, okay. he was 60. And he had, and I didn't know this about Blair, but I, I know you shared with me at some point along the line that he had had a, a, a heart condition that he was concerned about. Yeah, he he had a heart doctor and he had some uh, heart things he was, um, you know, looking at. Ironically, he had just been to his heart doctor who, you know, basically said he, he was having some symptoms of some things. And he had basically, he had been in the, um, of course, he died on Thanksgiving, but he'd been to see her in November and I think there was some thoughts on her part that he just needed, you know, some new sleep apnea tests. So they got mm-hmm. those scheduled and, um, you know, basically said, you're fine. All these symptoms are related to sleep apnea, not your heart. And, um, you know, fast forward. And that was wow. sadly not the case. Wow. 
So uh, something that was kind of missed in him that was going on. And uh, so as you look back on that day, Sometimes we see special things that that at the time may have gone by meaninglessly, but after a death, all of a sudden it, they have special meaning. Were there any things that happened in the days leading up to this that you still to this day look back on and and are thankful for that special connection or perhaps special show of love or something in that line? You mean the time before or that the day? Yeah, of- in the days before he passed. Was oh, oh, yeah. Um, the night before. Um the night before, well, I say a few days before he passed away, we had had this crazy ice storm here in the area and we had mm-hmm. just bought a house out of foreclosure. Not, it had just been about at the year mark. And so we didn't have a lot of uh, cool toys or anything to, to take care of the tree limbs and that kind of stuff. We hadn't gone down those roads yet. Um, so the ice storm made it real clear that we needed some things. <laughs> um, so we actually spent the day before cleaning up limbs and you know, taking, hauling stuff down and getting rid of debris that had been, you know, tree limbs and branches and that kind of stuff. And, um, so we actually worked, we both stayed, he, we worked for a little while that day, but we spent most of the day all together as a family cleaning this stuff up. And that the night before, and I always feel like this was a, a God moment in, in reflection, but the night before we had such an awesome night. I mean, we actually went to dinner, we went to the movies um, with mm. the kids. And then, um, we were having such a great time. We decided to all go Christmas shopping and it was just such a, a fun night. I mean, even my kids didn't fight. So my kids were 10 and 12 at the time. <laughs> so, you know, that that's, uh, that, yeah. that had to be a God thing right there. Um, sure. nobody, everybody got along. There wasn't any bickering. It was just so much fun. You know, we just had the best night and, um, I'm so grateful for that because I, I remember that night very detailed. Wow. Had you had conversations with Blair about um, death or life after him? Had, had that ever been a point of conversation? I don't know that we ever really, I mean, in some, some planning things, but I don't know that we, I wouldn't entertain it. You know, it, even if gotcha. he ever brought it up, I would say, and eh, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen because you're going to be around forever. So I'm not going to worry about it. So, you know, some of the flippant things you say, um, I would say nothing truly in depth to where I knew exactly all the things that would have had to have taken place. Um, But, you know, I think it's no matter whatever would have been planned um, in those moments, things don't go as planned anyway. Wow. So then the days after, tell me about the community that came together to uh, support you and your family. Yeah, I had a, um, I was real blessed to have a, a big community. Of course, um, Blair and I were, we worked together. So obviously there was a, um, a staff community and, 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 you know, fellow employees and so forth that we had worked with. Um, and I think that there were a lot of questions initially about, okay, who's going to be doing what next? I mean, Blair, Blair filled a lot of shoes professionally speaking as well as personally. And so there's that practical application of, oh my gosh, how is all this stuff over here going to get done? Um, Fortunately, every most all of the staff that we have worked with have been there a long time. Um, and I will say just, I'm sure it wasn't magically, but everybody kind of ended up absorbing some different pieces of, of what he did. There, there were some components that I still to this day have a hard time piecing together to make up his brain. Um, but there was that, that side of the, you know, community, if you will. Then there was the family side that definitely came, uh, to, to be supportive. And then 
the friend network, my kids' friends, their families, their friends' families. Um, so we had a lot of support on every single layer of uh, the journey. Perhaps one important thing for the folks to know about Blair, too, is the how multifaceted his gifting was in the area of radio. I mean, he he had the best radio voice a person could want and, and personality to go with it. You know, there's one thing to have a voice, one thing to have a personality, but to have both, he really had the full package and uh, was just a really gifted on-air talent. And so not only was he in man, was he still doing on-air work? Oh, yeah. He, he still had a was, morning wow. show. He was doing a morning show every day. Um, and, you know... It, something needed wired, he fixed it, you know, that sort of thing. Um, we, of course we have our engineer, uh, still, still work with him. Um, you know, I, but yeah, I, and I say this, um, I recently did an ebook, but in that ebook, I wrote that Blair could make sound come out of an empty chip bag. I mean, he could literally take anything (laughs) and make it into a radio. And, um, that, that was a tribute to, I think how his brain worked, but, um, I kind of tell you a little funny story. I don't want to get off your tap, you know, your topics. Too no, much, no, go right but, ahead. I would love to hear it. Um, a few, I guess the, the weekend after he passed away, he was supposed to have wired a receiver to get some high school sports more automated. And I don't remember the details as to why my engineer couldn't do that project. I just remember that a game was coming up and it had to be done. And um, I, it was, this was my first go at, trying to figure out, you know, dealing with four wire audio and stripping it out. And we used a pump punch block system in our FM studio and a punch block system means when you strip the wires out and each wire goes into a, an individual, let's just say a little individual place, if you will, and has to be crimped back together with a special tool. And so my engineer mm-hmm. said, you have to find a punch block tool. Blair would have had at least two of them and they're only used here. So he would have had it. And I, so this was a, a, you know, probably a couple weeks after he died, maybe two or three weeks by the time we were able to get to it. And, um, I remember, um, can't, couldn't find it to save my life, but we had a toolbox in our office. We had a shared office. I had one side of the desk, he had the other. And I went to go look in that toolbox. It wasn't there. I looked in the toolboxes in the closet, not there. I go look in his truck, not there. And, um, I remember one morning, one Sunday morning, I dropped the kids off to church and um, I was obsessed with trying to find this thing. And it's kind of funny how you get somewhat hyper-focused on something in, in grief. But I, I dropped the kids off. I drove to the office. And by this time, I was so frustrated. I had spent several days looking for this thing. Couldn't find it. Um, probably didn't think, well, I don't know why I didn't order one on Amazon or something like that at the time. But I didn't think that way. I'm like, he's got it somewhere. So I walk into our office. I flip the light on. And I said, okay. Either Jesus or Blair, one of you has to find this punch block tool for me because I can't go any further in life until I have this thing. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that I walked over to that silly toolbox that I had had out 17 times, flip open the lid, and there it's laying right on top. And I just had that moment where I was like sad because of like there it was and all this time I had spent trying to find it and I was so focused on it. But then it also dawned on me, I thought, wait a minute, did I just burn up like one of my things? Do, do I get more of these? Did I waste it on a punch block tool? You know, and uh-huh. I was like, hold on a second. You know, I, I don't need it that bad. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I've, I've never had a, a moment like that since, nor have I never been demanding of Jesus or Blair. That, and that almost sounds like a country true. song. That's yeah. a great tell, Jesus or Blair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, like one of you has to help me here. So that's what so- I needed. 
you brought to mind, and I just give this to you briefly, one of my favorite stories with Blair and to show how multifaceted he was, he was doing some soldering in one of the studios and I was back having a conversation with him when the solder dripped on his silk tie and ruined the tie. And uh, he was frustrated. He started taking it off and I said, you want to have some fun? Sure. He was always up for that. And, you know, Blair and I were known to butt heads from time to time. And so it wasn't an uncommon thing, but we staged this, that we walked out where we knew everybody would be and started this terrible fight with each other, just yelling at each other. And of course, everybody came out of their corners to watch the fight. And at one point I said, I've had it with you. And I grabbed a pair of scissors and cut off his tie and everybody goes, (gasps) (laughs) and then we just started laughing and looked at us like, why are you laughing? And it was just one of those great moments. I will. Yeah, that's I love that story. Well, tell me about your book. This is great. Yeah. So um, I was asked to speak last uh, spring at a women's conference and, you know, people would just in general conversation would come up to me and say, how are you able to kind of hold on to this and move forward and do these things? And I'm like, I guess I got thinking, I'm like, I I really don't know other than Jesus. I really don't know how that happened. But Mm -hmm. I thought it had to have happened through some, some kind of way. So I, I wrote this speech and after I gave this speech, a, a woman approached me and she was uh, very much tearful. And she said, you know, Hey, is there any way I can get a copy of this speech for a family member? And I was like, well, you can have this one. So I gave her the one I had. Someone else asked me for a copy and fast forward a few, couple months later, someone else asked me one. And I thought, you know, is there any way I can just get this into something that's downloadable? So that's what started that journey. And um, I connected with Cocoon DeWing's publishing company and we, they helped me create an ebook, which is titled The Next Thing, Moving Forward Without a Map. And inside, I'm able to kind of lay out some general framework. Of course, it has a spiritual component to it, but a general framework of things that you can keep in mind when you're in the uh, beginning or the middle or whatever season you're in of some kind of unplanned life change. Um, and maybe it's the middle of grief. Maybe it's... Um, something that you weren't expecting your life to go a different trajectory. It's like, okay, wait a second, what happens next? And so being able to come up with the next thing uh, versus how we tend to approach life, which is in to-do lists um, where everything kind of goes on one page and, you know, that doesn't work in the middle of grief. And um, that is one thing I did realize. So I was able to kind of piece apart and compartmentalize and give some framework for how other people can move forward without a map. Cause you're not given all of us are not given a blueprint for exactly what we're supposed to do next. And mm-hmm. um, so hopefully exactly. I was able to- And there are no books. Yeah, there's there's zero books. Sorry to anybody yeah. who's ever yeah. read a book. There's just not. There's things that will help. And so that's the heart behind uh, this publication was the next thing moving forward with that map. And where is the book available? Yeah. So you can go online at Amazon and you can download that on Kindle. Um It's also, I think, available at Barnes & Noble's uh, download um, Mm -hmm. and iBooks. You can find it there, too. Very good. So uh, grief can be different than what people expect of us. And I'm sure because I've been through this, everybody who's grieved a loss of a spouse has been through this. You've experienced people having higher expectations for your grief and your grief pattern. What, What was the surprising thing that you learned about grief that maybe you didn't understand before? I did not realize the physical, um, I knew that it would be, you know, I guess I have grieved before I'd lost loved ones. So I understood mm-hmm. grief, you know, to that capacity. Mm-hmm. I sure. did not realize the physical grieving. And mm-hmm. even to this day, five years later, 
something can just make you completely lose it. Um, I, I, I will tell you, even the phone call I got Wednesday, I was like, this is so ironic. This is like one of the first few times I've talked about this in public. And here's someone's calling me on the way, telling me stories about Blair. I mean, I know that's a God thing, but it still caught me. Um, but I will, I will tell you that grief is not necessarily controllable. Um, I remember right after he died, um, I couldn't have a conversation with anybody now without start crying. And, um, I remember saying, just give me 30 seconds. I'll be okay. I'll get myself together. It's just, it was incontrollable. Uh, crying was incontrollable. Uh, the physical pain of grief is just something I think people don't necessarily think about. I, I really truly believe that the broken heart syndrome is a real thing. I remember walking up the stairs one night thinking that I was having a heart attack. I was like, I am mm. in so much pain. This is hurting. You know, my, my chest hurts. I can't breathe. Um, and I was like, wow, I wonder if this is what they're talking about, you know, when they talk about this. And so I think the the physical aspect of it, I also was well, secondary. And this is something I bring up in my book for me, the mental aspect of it, um, was I lost my ability to focus on a lot of things at once. Um, I know a lot of people who obviously just listening to this don't know me, but I usually have a lot of balls in the air. I juggle a lot of projects at one time. Um, I, I completely lost that ability to do that. I could only see one thing right in front of me. Um, I, I tell the story in my, uh, in the ebook, but you know, when I went to the grocery store, I couldn't take a big list and shop it. I, I don't know. It sounds like a mm. common sense thing, but I could only focus on one thing at a time. I remember just going and sometimes getting just a couple things just to go back the very next day because I couldn't piece things together very well in that, in that respect. So I think you're just, everything gets drawn in and all of a sudden you're here versus when you're in life and everything's kind of doing whatever you might have a lot of projects going on, but in grief, you are, you, you really just revert back to the core and you can only focus on, I think for me, it was a very, very few things at a time, even though I had a lot of things screaming at me, um, because we, you know, we owned radio stations together. Um, we had children together and we bought this, if you ever seen the movie, uh, Money Pit with Tom Hanks. We mm -hmm. like the house mm -hmm. in that movie where it hated you when you lived there. That was kind of what we were in. Um, you know, we didn't have water for several weeks. I mean, there was just things like that. The house mm -hmm. had its own project too. And it was something we were supposed to do together. And, um, but I, I will just tell you that those are the, probably the, the physical aspect and then the mental. And, Cause I assume people would get the emotional, emotional piece of it. But, um, those are the two, two things that, um, I probably didn't even know to think about, I guess, to be honest. And, and in you saying that, I want to just kind of pause here and say something because we've spent some time praising Blair and his memory. But uh, I want to just say that I remember you as being one of the most remarkably talented radio people that you seem to have a very natural gifting for it, if I remember correctly. And you were one of those folks that uh, as a as a program director, I never had any problem trusting you at all. I was always relieved when things were in your hands because oh, you, uh, you. Ha had a very remarkable gifting there. Um so I wanted to bring that out as well, just so folks would know that it, uh, uh, Blair was very blessed as a radio guy to have a, a, a natural talent like you in his life as well. Oh, I, we so, did make a good team, I think. So do you, do you find now that you look back over these five years that there are signposts to wellness? That is, you, at this point, you felt like you had made you could see that you had made a step forward. I think um, I don't. I guess looking back on it, there's different seasons of it. 
I think there were maybe some different uh, realizations maybe along the way that I can look back now and go, huh, you know, that, that was getting through that, not realizing it. Um, I will say that from a God perspective, I will say that there were little things that I think he would allow to happen that would bring me little bits of comfort that I knew could only come mm-hmm. from him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that I could look back on and go, okay, that moment had to be, you know, a, a God moment. But one of those, um, for example, I decided to take the day off the to, on the anniversary of the first year he passed away. And I, I have to say, I, I hadn't gone through the funeral things yet. And they were still in a big box. And I decided to sit down that day and make a scrapbook and just go through and feel all those things that I really didn't have a lot of time in the very beginning um, to kind of feel and wade through. And I can't explain how this happened. In a sea of you know, sympathy cards and pictures and a guest book from the funeral and just different notes and things like that. I mean, there was a lot. I found a birthday card he had wrote me and I thought, how did a birthday card get in this? And, you know, and I can just tell you so many little stories like that. Um, fast forward to our anniversary time, which is in May and fast forward to that. And my daughter was needing something for school. And, um, I'm, I'm looking for something in, in a place I'm looking for, and she needed a picture and I'm like, Oh, where would I go stash that photo? And for some reason I go to this box that's in our, you know, in our basement and I open it up and I saw a letter that was taped closed in an envelope and it said time capsule not to be opened until 2021. And I was like, then I remembered he and I had done this years ago. Do you think I waited to 2021? I like ripped that thing open right there, you know, and just read it. So I guess looking back, I don't know that I answered your question technically, but I guess looking back, I see little pieces of where I had little reminders and things. Um, As far as I will address like the wellness piece of it, um, you know, I don't ever know that there's like a light switch moment where we go, okay, I'm good. You know, I don't think in life that we ever, I mean, I think we just learn how to take the next, do the next thing and take the next step and just keep moving forward. Um, you know, so I, I think this, there's some reflections generally like that. Um, but I think that kind of speaks to who he was to, um, kind of say that there will always be, you know, that missing, missing piece in that respect. But, um, I think that again, just kind of goes to, to who he was. Um, but yeah, that there was a lot of, you know, little, little reminders along the way, but there's been a lot of good people. God, God always, always said, you God placed the right people around us, which I think helped. I think one thing that people struggle with more from the outside looking in than they do when it's, but we certainly, we, we struggle with this in loss and that is the, uh, the moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's not moving on, it's moving forward. And how has your experience been both honoring and loving and grieving Blair, but also recognizing now Kelly has a life to live and I've got to keep living. How has that been for you? Yeah. So there's a lot of answers to that question. There's the professional answer. Um, everything I did in the beginning around work was, would Blair do it this way? Oh my gosh, she probably wouldn't. I need to reframe it. Um, with how would Blair think about this decision, everything in the beginning. And I don't remember how long that took, but was always with that framework. And, um, I had a discussion with someone and, you know, the point was made, it is sad, but he is not here. And you're going to have to make decisions professionally that work for your new environment and work for the, with the people that you have to work with 
that may or may not been what he decided because that variable is not there to work with those things. So if that makes sense. Um, so I think in the beginning I had to learn and I, the beginning might be like a year into it. Right. But I had to learn to, um, be, oh, let go of guilt with making decisions that without knowing a hundred percent, if he would be behind them or not. Of course, I always wanted to make things honoring of his memory, decisions, honoring his memory, but I had to move forward with different pieces because he, he wasn't there. Um, and he filled a lot of shoes. And so it took a lot of shoes to fill his one pair. And, um, so I think that that answers that on the professional side, I had to let go of guilt that I wasn't doing things, um, maybe his way anymore. I had to just go. I think he would be okay with any way because that's just, you know, what, what I had to work with. Um, and with the, the moving forward piece, um, with kids, it, it was different too. Um, we had to, even though that I've been their mom since the, the beginning, um, you know, when you have four of you, it, you have a different, um, personality bounce things off of, or, or question of parenting. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. you are both parents and all of a sudden your relationship changes a little bit. Not that you're not the mom, but you're also the dad and you're also, um, or you're trying to fulfill that role best you can. And, uh, I think that kids don't, well, this is one everything I learned, um, sidetrack, but kids don't grieve like adults. I don't care what book is out there. They don't grieve in the linear passages. It's not like you go from this to this, to this, to this, to this. You know, sometimes you might go over here to come back to do this, to do that. I mean, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, and so I, I think for me, it's in your own grief, but then also recognizing holy oh, uh, kids and where they're grieving. And then, then I think there's something called a secondary grief. Um, I don't know if that's a real term, but where you're grieving for your own primary loss, but then you're, and I, I, you know, I probably think that this happens for me now is that you tend to grieve about what each other is missing, what the kids are missing. You know, um, I remember one of my kids was playing sports at the time and I went to the game and there wasn't a the dad there, you know, and, um, I, re so I think then you go through phases of where you grieve that, you know, where you grieve of what Blair doesn't get to see now and what they don't get to experience. Um, you know, and kids, they were 10 and 12 and they're 15 and 17. And in that five years, they've, they've grown as people. So yeah, there's probably that, um, those levels too, that you, you know, that you kind of have as you go along that, I don't think you ever like check the box that you're completely out, out of the woods, so to speak. You, you're, I think you're always grieving on some kind of level, but yes, you move mm -hmm. forward and, um, you give yourself a lot of, uh, grace and to be able to look messy and that's okay. Cause it is messy. Even now, uh, I, you know, even now if someone catches me and we have a conversation, I get teary eyed. I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on. No, I'm not because it is a very traumatic thing. Um, so I think just having that grace piece is huge and that I do, uh, reflect, have those reflections in my ebook. Um, and also just, you know, talking about that another big mantra that I've used then and, and now is nothing, any decision that we made, nothing was forever. It was just for right now. Um, I learned that. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I, I, I came, I, that kind of came to my mind and I started using that is wait a second. I'm not ma marrying any of these decisions. And I think once I took that pressure off me myself, like, I don't have to decide the world today. It doesn't have to all be done right now. I can just do it in small doses. And guess what? If I don't like it, I'm, I got to be the boss of it and I can change it later. And if it's not working for us, we'll go back to the, you know, the, the drawing board. Um, so once I started giving that to my kids and saying, Hey guys, it's not forever. It's just for right now. 
And these are just, this is what we're functioning in right now. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't mean to be all over the board, but one other thing that I remember telling my kids is they didn't, when, when Blair passed away, they missed school for the funeral, but I think they just, they wanted to go back. I think they needed some structure and some normalcy. And mm. one thing I told them, I said, Hey, you may not, you don't have to grieve all in a package right now. You may decide a month from now that you need a day. You may decide three months from now you need a day. So let's just do this. You have this time available to you and you spend it and you can bank it and you can do whatever. So if you tell me in a month from now, mom, I really need to take this day off school and I just need to have a, a down day and, you know, reflect and do whatever. Guess what? I'm going to, you're going to have that. You don't have to justify it to me. I just, now if it's every day, we know we've got something else to maybe talk about, but if you need that time. And I remember the kids, so we just started doing that every semester. They knew they had days that if they just weren't feeling it, or I, I call them kind of mental health days that, you know, you would give your own family because adults take them. Mm -hmm. So we needed to give mm -hmm. them, I wanted to give them to them. And, um, you know, and it was a, a long time before each kid, but they would, they each use them in their own respect for whatever they needed wow. it for at the time. That's really neat. And, and I think very, a very smart thing to do. So Kelly, on a very personal level, how do you, uh, how do you get up in the mornings? What's, uh, what's it like for you to get up and take in that breath of life and step into the fresh mercies God provides and, and, and to live? How does that work for you? What is your, what is your keep moving plan? Yeah. Keep moving plan is, um, you know, in the beginning, it was like you mentioned before we started this, uh, recording today was gosh, in the middle of all that intense grief and physical pain and, and trauma, you're just getting out of bed and breathing. Um, and you felt like that, that was the win for the day. That was the next thing. Um, mm -hmm. I started doing away with to-do lists and started going into next thing lists, if you will, just doing the next thing. I didn't have to have everything planned out. I still don't have to have anything planned out anymore. I really took that pressure off of having to have every single thing answered. Um, and I think it's, it's recognizing what a gift life is and a person that, you know, and I know, gosh, I struggled with this too, but, you know, staying under the covers or not living isn't, um, or not even bringing, uh, you know, the memory of the person that you, you lost, um, to life in different ways, um, wasn't going to serve God, wasn't going to serve kids, wasn't going to serve people I worked with. Um, it was a matter of, okay, this has to be done. And how can I best doing it in the honoring of, of all these uh, people that mean so much to me. And, um, I don't, I won't say that I just probably don't know that I thought about it too much other than I didn't probably let, I didn't let myself stay in bed. Um, I let myself grieve, but I had my own pockets of that. Sometimes it was in a parking lot before I'd walk in somewhere and I just have a, a meltdown or, um, sometimes it was at the grocery store in the Twinkie aisle, Blair loved Twinkies and, Gosh, in the beginning, I had to have someone grocery shop for me because I'd go past Hostess and that was a trigger. <laughs> um, so I, I think now it's it was it's just been, I have somewhat uh, looked for ways to be honoring to his memory and also realizing that um, the, the children and the family that we have, um, keeping, keeping his memory alive. Uh, we created a Blair Trask Memorial Broadcasting Scholarship um, we of course dedicated wow. FM studio to him. Um, I feel like this ebook is a, another way to keep his, um, memory out there too, for the kids. So looking for ways that, that 
continue to honor his memory and keep his memory alive because he was such a, a vibrant person. Um, but just, just realizing that, um, we, we had such a gift when, you know, we were, we were together and being able to try to have that instill in our kids and a family that we had together, um, from coming together and moving forward in that respect. So the, one of the ideas behind this podcast is telling these stories so the people who think they cannot survive realize that they can, because I've found that in myself, people say, Greg, you're, you're so strong for what you've been through. And I'm not strong. I just get up every day, you know, keep, keep breathing and keep moving. Yeah. What, if you could kind of look into the eyes metaphorically here of, of our listeners and viewers and for somebody who's struggling with the loss of a spouse right now and, and thinking that, that Kelly seems so strong, I don't think I can do what she did. What, what would you say to that person? Yeah, I'd say, um, I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't have any magic answers either. Um, I, I guess I would gear back and these are some kind of the points that I reflect in the ebook and with kind of the heart behind why I put it together, but about realizing that making decisions don't have to be forever. They can just be for right now, giving yourself a lot of grace that you don't have to have it all together. It's going to look messy to others because mm. it is, and it should, and that's mm -hmm. not going to change. Um, and then I also address some specific frameworks that you can apply. Um, number one being, um, one of those, I, I won't bore you with all of them, but, um, that basically you're not, you have to look up to receive help. Um, I had a very much a spiritual component to, um, my surviving that. And I would say that I had to be okay with asking for help. Um, in the beginning, I would say, no, we're good. We don't need anything. And then I'm, then I started realizing, wait a second, we're not good and we do need some help. So anybody that wanted to help in the, any way that they offered, I, I just started letting them. And I realized that I, you know, wasn't an Island. I didn't have to do everything by myself, that that would have just been another layer of pride that wouldn't have um, been productive. And so when I would say when people offer to help, let them, um, that's definitely one big component, um, but that you have to also, you, you can't walk around with your hands in your pockets, right? You have to be able to, to receive the help and also be willing to help yourself in some respects too. You know, what does that look like? It doesn't have to look like a lot. It can just look like something small that you took a shower that day or, um, you know, that you just functioned. You know, I always said like in the beginning, it's changing your framework of your, of your mind. Like for, is, mm. you know, when my kids were little, I would say, Hey guys, did you eat your fruits and vegetables today? And did you guys get some protein in? And then after Blair mm. died, that shifted to, did you eat today? And it didn't matter if it was cookies for mm. the hundredth time, or if it was chicken nuggets, 17 days in a row, the point was, um, were they eating? And that became my thing too. Mm. Did I eat something? Did it matter if it was a, a well-balanced meal? No, it was was I eating anything? So I think your framework and your questions change for how you define success for your day. Wow. Um, so so I think when you can reevaluate, and you know, the other, the, as the saying goes, and I put this in my book that, um, a journey with a thousand, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I go on to explain, no one says how big that step step is, um, or how many steps you have to, you know, take to, to define that. So I think that when people are in their, trauma or in something that in, in a deep grief, realizing that you get to decide 
what your progress looks like, but you have to decide you're making progress. And it's hard to do that when you're in the middle of, I can't breathe. So maybe that's not a day one accomplishment. Mm -hmm. It might be a few months into that, or maybe even a year into that, but to give yourself grace, to be able to define what that looks like for you, kind of keeping the opinions of others here, because they're doing it out of uh, loving hearts, most of them. Um, but realizing that you don't have to do everything people tell you and, um, that you can adjust your uh, sales, if you will, because we, we say that phrase a lot around here too. You just have to adjust your sales on it. Didn't go the way you planned it. You got to adjust your sales and figure out how to move forward. And then being able to redefine what success looks like for you. It, it might not look like the same. I always say that the only thing that widows have in common is the fact that they lost their person, their situation, their jobs, their home life, their kids, their not kids, their work, their not work, all that's piece. Those, those pieces are different. No one I don't, I haven't found two people that look exactly alike. And, um, you know, so in that being able to go, it's okay that you don't have it all together because you probably won't for a while. And even now I don't know that I do. Um, I just think we've just accumulated what are considered the next things and just finding your way in the dark. I keep thinking I'm going to let you go, but I have another question yeah, for you because yeah, I'm just really it. curious how, how you dealt with this. When my wife passed away, I was a, a pastor. And people expect the pastor to be the strong one. And I really found that in that year after she passed, there wasn't so much people coming to console me, but I had to console others about her, her loss. Now, here you are at the head of this uh, radio company with a, a lot of people who loved Blair deeply. Did you find yourself in the process of rather than being consoled, having to console others? Sometimes um, I will say sometimes yes, but. I, I wish that was one thing I, if I could go back and do it differently. I wish I had been more available. I think then I was so pressed for, um, you know, I, I, we live about an hour away from the office and I had young kids in school and I'm their only mm -hmm. means of getting anywhere. So I think in the very beginning, everything was so pressed for time. I probably wish I could go back and actually have been there more. Um, I can remember a few instances on from individual staff members where sitting and listening and listening to stories. And we spent a lot of time doing that in the beginning, um, you know, and crying together. We, we did. And I think mm -hmm. I grew closer with the staff, you know, through, through that, obviously. Um, I think the biggest thing is um, we all wanted to keep doing a good job because that was honoring uh, to Blair's memory. And, um, I can say every single person that I worked with did that. Um, I nice. am so grateful for that time where if, if I said, Hey, do you have any idea on how this can get done? And nine times out of 10, 99% of the time it was, I'll take care of it. And I look back and go, wow, they were grieving as well. They lost a friend, a mentor. And, um, how is this, you know, how's this going to work? And, um, I probably wish I had made more time time for that. But mm -hmm. to answer your question, uh, yes, we did all have some moments where we were able to grieve together. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty in the beginning about what, what was going to happen. I, I didn't know what was going to happen in the very beginning. I had my own, oh my goodness, what, what next? But, you know, right after he passed away, he passed away on Thanksgiving and, you know, remember right in radio world, there's billing was Monday and, mm. and he always did billing. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick little funny story. Um, he always would bring, he was sat, sat and did billing and I, I always just saw him doing it, but he used two stamps. He used a forever stamp and then he used a penguin stamp. 
And I always just thought that he bought the penguin stamps because they were a fun version of forever stamps. And so that night after his funeral, I felt like I was being dishonoring if I didn't get billing out because I knew he was always by the book timeline. And I was, I was upset that I couldn't have done it the Monday. I was already a day late feeling like a failure. Like I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't even get billing out on time. So I sat up after the night of his funeral and, um, was working on billing and I had put the stamps on and all those things and had in a box. And I'm like, okay, I've got 20 minutes to drop this off at the post office before I have to leave to go pick up one of my kids. And so I take it up, um, to the office, go to the post office and I've got, I did the forever stamps first, ran out of those, did the penguin stamps. And then, um, the lady gets the penguin stamps and she's looked at, she goes, Oh honey. She said, these are extra ounce stamps. These are not regular stamps. And I thought, now I can't even put a stamp on an envelope. This is, I'm not going to make it. So she sat there and got leverage. She's like, okay, this one you owe 42 cents. This one you owe 17 cents. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. Um, but that, those were just some initial moments of, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just didn't, I didn't mm. know anything. All I knew was that was the next thing I had to get billing out. And um, wow. had to wait in the line to redo the stamps. And don't ever buy penguin stamps. They are not what you pay Amen. <laughs> well, I have one final question for you. And, and that is, uh, especially in a situation where young children are involved and a parent is lost, it becomes such an easy question for us to say, how can a God of love allow something like this to happen? What has been your discovery about that question? Oh, that, that's a big question. I think people have been debating that one for years. I can only speak from my faith. And um, mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, there's always going to be um, health and sickness and free will. And that is a general answer to that question. A lot of life things, especially in light of a lot of things that are happening now. Um, I, I, I will never understand some of those things. Um, and I'm not sure my, my brain has the capacity to, um, you know, in the beginning, I questioned a lot of that, like, oh, why are we, in, why, why did this happen? And those sorts mm -hmm. of things. But my faith is such that I do believe in the verse that talks about that he only wants good things. And I didn't know what those were going to be. I still, you know, we still don't obviously know all those things that God has for us, but I could only trust that he was going to, to make a way. And, um, cause I'd always had that faith in our other, other things in life. Even before this moment, I'd always thought, okay, I don't know how we're going to get through these things. It's not like life was completely, you know, rosy that we had our, we had moments, you know, with, with different things, um, with different people passing away and, you know, just our own different things you go through in life. Um, sure, but sure. how you're thinking, okay, I, I'm just going to keep following my faith and knowing that God doesn't have, God doesn't want anything bad for me. And even though this is a, ter a terrible loss and, that I, I'm just going to hope that someday God is able to, to make, make it okay. And, um, I just trusted in that, I guess. Um, which is probably, I think the only way that we can kind of move forward and having that knowledge of, yeah, this, this is really terrible. I mean, you know, I have friends with cancer diagnoses and things along those lines, sure asking a lot of those same questions. And I don't think anybody has those answers. Um, but the only thing I can do is know that, you know, God's responsible for, for my salvation. And I'm just going to, you know, my eyes had to be focused on that. 
and and I wasn't expecting to give this particular song a plug, but as you talked, I remembered one of the current songs that has just powerfully smacked me upside the head is called Kind by Corey Asbury. So if anybody is struggling with this question, I would encourage you to go and Google Kind yeah. by Corey Asbury. And it's one that just really speaks powerfully into this. Yeah. And well, I, Kelly, uh, again, oh, I was I'm just going to add on. Um, I did create a website, kellytrask.com. And that does have the link to my book as well as some, I started a blog there of people, um, just some quick little reads that people could access that, you know, if they have that's, questions, they, I don't mind if they, if they want to send me an email, that's perfectly fine. That's all on there. Awesome. Um, you know, you can send a note. Um, I am not a counselor. I am not, I'm a human. Did, I'm just another person. Mm -hmm. I'd be like a friend. So I don't have any mm -hmm. uh, credentialing in that skill other than experience. Um, and I, I'm still learning as we go. So, but that's a couple of places where you can get some uh, additional thoughts if you would like them. And people need that. That that friend component is one of the most healing components, I think, yeah. in the green process. I will, I will say, I'm glad you brought that up. Right after um, Blair passed away, a friend I hadn't seen in 20 years, she and I went to school together. Her husband actually had just died the year pre uh, prior, so she was a year and a head. And she said, look, I know we haven't spoke in 20 years. She said, but you're going to need a 2 a.m. phone call because you don't sleep. I, I don't I don't think I slept for six months um, or eight, mm -hmm. really. But she said, you're going to need a 2 a.m. phone call. And um, she, out of the blue, she just gave me her number. And I had not talked to her before. And I'm not really talked to her after, but I remember one night I called her and she answered and, um, wow. she just let me vent, cry, talk, you know, at the end, she just, she kind of was quiet there. And she said, you know, are you good? And are you good for now? And, um, did you say all the things you were thinking? And I was kind of like, yeah, I think I have. And, um, she's like, okay, you need me again. I'm here at 2am. And I think it was just having that knowledge that somebody was going to be able to listen wow. when I needed them to. Um, she was a godsend. She was someone else. I think God just dropped in my, not, not because she, gosh, I'm sorry that she was for her circumstance because, you know, you wouldn't wish that on anybody. But um, yeah, so that she, she everybody needs a 2 a.m. phone call. That's wow. for sure. That is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Well, we will include all this information in the show notes if anybody would like to uh, uh, check out more about Kelly. Again, the name of your book is? It's called The Next Thing, Moving Forward Without a Map. It's available if you just want to search Kelly Trask on Amazon, or you can search the title, or you can go to kellytrask.com. There is a button that takes you right there. All right. Well, Kelly, if you'll hang on just a moment, I'll talk with you in just a moment. But right now, thank you folks for checking out the uh, survival guide. And again, all these uh, connections will be made in the show notes. And also, if you have uh, more questions about what we do at Survival Guide, you can contact us through CorbinFosterMedia.com. That's CorbinFosterMedia.com. And we would love to hear from you as well. Well, if you have a story, a survival story, go to CorbinFosterMedia.com and connect with us there because we would love to help you tell your story. There's a lot of healing in the telling process, and we would love to be a part of that with you. Uh, until the next time, I'm Greg Fish. Thank you so very much for coming along on The Survival Guide.